The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. This is the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. It is 7.06 Wednesday, the second show of the week, and uh, we love being here. So glad you're uh, glad you're with us. you got lots of time to make that phone call, ask your questions tonight. Andrew Goldberg is here answering those questions. 416-870-6400. 416-870-6400. Lines open. Let's rock. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll get to uh, lots of stuff on the show tonight, in between the calls, including everything you need to know about forced resignations and possibly, if we have time, situations that trigger employment law disputes, that is all in the way. But as mentioned, phone lines top priority. So if you want to call in, we'll get you on air and, uh, and have a chat. 416-870-6400. But week that was, Andrew, what do you got, pal? Well, I wanted to touch on one thing, and it might sound like we're a bro- broken record here, but our hands are tied and we're kind of forced in that situation. And that has to do with... Uh, the IDEL, the Infectious Disease Mm. Emergency Leave. Um, For the listeners that have probably listened even once in the last, you know, year, they've probably heard about this. It's the uh, layoff that you might be on right now from work as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So the government has now announced that that IDEL, that COVID layoff, can extend till September 25th, uh, 2021. So I think this could be the fourth or fifth extension. So... For those of you who are currently on a layoff, um, if you don't do anything about it, if you don't act, uh, you could be on this IDEL until September 25th. Still there? Oh, yeah, I'm still here, yeah. Um, okay, just making sure. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, what, uh, so what, what should people do? Well, you know, something, again, another point we make all the time is you don't have to accept these layoffs. The vast majority of the time, uh, the company does not have the inherent right to put you on the layoff to begin with, regardless of the time period that the uh, government has mandated right. that it will end. So you don't have to wait till September 25th if you don't want to. You can give us a call and you can pursue something called a constructive dismissal claim in an effort to get your severance package. And it's important to keep in mind that even if you're thinking, well, you know, it's June 16th, um, September 25th is not that long away, I might want to wait it out. What may happen as of September 25th is the employer could just transition you to one of the regular temporary layoffs, um, which could last up to 35 weeks if your benefits are being continued. So, you know, uh, September, that's uh, July, that's three months, plus 35 weeks is another eight months. So you could be looking at another 11 months from today oh. if, you do, if you don't do anything about it. So uh, you just might want to consider that if you're listening or at minimum, if you are listening and you're thinking, well, I'll, I'll wait it out till September, see how it goes. Um, at that point, you may want to give us a call then if your employer does not recall you back to work and you don't want to wait up to another eight months. By the way, you want to have a chat with Andrew anytime in regard to that, which would be a good move or anything else for that matter. one 821 5900 Get to a call in between the week that was. That's plural. Uh, Charles, how are you, pal? Oh, that's bad. I got a question. Uh, my, uh, I'm a security guard, and my company uh, had uh, uh, 
folded, not folded, but the company itself is, uh, is still in business, but there's no more work. I'm over 65, so I said to them, uh, just put me down as uh, retired, and, uh, and that's it. Now, am I eligible for unemployment insurance? Well, just to be clear, so you were told you were laid off, and then in, sure. respo- in response to that, you said, well, just mark me as retired. Yeah, so that's what I told them, so I well, don't know. I mean, I think that's something that you should uh, speak to uh, Service Canada about. I mean, the, you know, technically you were laid off first. Uh, there really was no need to indicate you would retire. I mean, at least until you were recalled. If they if they tried to recall you back, and- well, they won't. Be, yeah, they won't be recalling for at least. Uh, oh, it w- would be at least a year. Yeah. 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 So, I, I don't think it really served you any benefit to tell them that you were retiring because it's not going to, it wouldn't, wouldn't change much, right? So at this stage, it, it would probably come down to what they put on your record of employment, which is a document that they would send to Service Canada. And then Service Canada would look at that to determine whether you should get EI payments. So probably your best bet is to call Service Canada um look into it, advise them that they put you on a layoff and that you indicated since it, you know, seemed like it would be a long time that you would just retire anyway and you weren't interested in going back. But, you know, by doing that, you do run some risk that you won't apply for EI. So maybe just, um, or sorry, uh, be eligible for EI. So you might just want to call Service Canada, see what they have to say and, and what they're willing to do for you. Okay, thank you. Oh, no problem. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate uh, appreciate your time. Enjoy the uh, rest of the evening, it is uh, 7.12, still lots of time to call in like Charles just did. But uh, your second matter, what were, uh, what were we going to talk about, pal? Well, the second matter involves uh, a few individuals who contacted me this week. They were all dealing with the same issue, um, which involved their pay. So they were salespeople, and they historically were paid a base salary plus a commission. The employer came to pretty much all the salespeople and said, look, you know, we, in light of COVID, we're changing, you know, our our targets, the way we want to do things. We want to incentivize whatever different types of sales um, behavior. So we're moving you, you all to a commission-only structure, and we'd like you to sign this document um, <clears throat> confirming that you agree to this new structure. And it pretty much, it didn't say what happened if you didn't sign, but it was very aggressive and it was pretty much sign the new contract agreeing to the commission only plan uh, or else. And, you know, these individuals were provided the contract and therein, you know, <clears throat> they did have a presentation before where the employer indicated to them, look, you can actually make more money under this new plan. But what was concerning about the contract after reading it was there was language saying, you know, the employer can change the terms of the commission plan at its discretion. It does, you know, even the payout itself is completely discretionary. So while the, you know, the way that the commissions are calculated might look okay today, they were all concerned, well, what happens tomorrow if this is changed? Yeah, and totally. and then lo and behold, there were all these other new terms in the contract that the employer never even told them about at all or pointed uh, them to. And they were smart to collectively talk to a lawyer because, you know, a lot of this stuff is is legal mumbo jumbo to some people. They don't even know what the hell is going on when they're reading it. Um, but they're very, 
important uh, provisions. And, and what these provisions set out to do, for example, was limit their severance, uh, you know, give the employer a right to put them on temporary layoffs. One of the provisions pretty much said, we can reassign your clients to other sales reps uh, at any time without your approval. And there were some very, you know, um, detrimental terms in there. So the obvious question is, well, what do they do? And it's kind of a sticky situation because there's no clear cut right or wrong. I mean, on one hand, you can agree to sign the contract and ostensibly keep your job and remain employed. Um, but now you're agreeing to all these new terms and you're, you're agreeing to pretty much let your employer do whatever it wants and you're removing all your rights essentially as an employee. Uh, on the other hand, you cannot sign. And if they fire you, then you would just get, you'd be entitled to your severance uh, as it is. So these people had to choose, I guess, between, you know, this new job and new terms or being fired with a severance. And, you know, what's tricky as well is theoretically they could sign and because of the language trying to limit their severance, um, they could be fired in two months and just get a far worse severance than if they were fired today, right? And we talk on the show all the time about how these termination clauses are, are very hard to draft and, and they're very hard to enforce. And that might be the case, but the newer the contract, the more likely the language is going to be compliant. And it's also not a situation you want to find yourself in is just banking on, you know, pursuing legal action to get something, you, it'd be much better to have a clear idea. So, you know, it, it's, it's just, a, you know, a, um, just information for our listeners where if you're, if you're presented a contract, you don't have an obligation to sign it. It's important to know that if you refuse, then the company wishes to fire you. That's not cause for termination. You'd certainly be entitled to your severance. It's just, there's a lot of things to think about in that situation. Yeah, it's you really got to do some future proofing when it comes to that sort of thing. Like you said, in, in the in the near future, it may sound oh okay, this sounds like it's okay. I'm going to make more money, but yeah, when you drill down into some of those things that are in that contract, if you sign off on that sucker, you may regret that a year, two, five, ten years later. It really might be detrimental to how much money you end up with, right? And other things. Well, I, I tell people it's an excellent point, and I tell people all the time, you know, employment law is interesting because you know, especially people that come to me maybe with a contract for a job, but it's the first contract. So they're just starting at the company. It's not like their third or fourth contract. They're, they're brand new. And I tell them, okay, you know, here's a concern. There's a concern. The other's a concern. But until these issues are problems, they're not. You know what right. I mean? So yeah. it, it, it's kind of interesting because when you, when, at the beginning of the relationship, none of this stuff, you know, seems that plausible, it seems that likely, you know, you're like, oh, future you will worry about that and, and, and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, the more terms that are in place that are detrimental, the more likely one of them will come up. And, and, and like I said, it's, it, these things just aren't a problem till they are. And that's the big thing to think about where you could go five years, you know, your termination language, I might say, yeah, that's pretty good language. I might limit your severance in 10 years when you're fired and eight years when you're fired, rather than getting, you know, eight, 10, 12 months of severance. Now, all of a sudden you're getting eight weeks and it's like, well, you know, we talked about that back then and here, here's what's the, the consequences now, right? So everything has, you know, future consequences that you might not turn your mind to. And it's up to you to kind of assess these and keep them in mind when you're agreeing to terms. Yeah. It's kind of like living beside a dormant volcano. It's okay now, but yeah, you know, 
could happen one day in five or ten years you might be running for your life but it could be that way right so let's uh take a short break brother we got lots to get through on the show tonight and the phone lines look at that wide open for you and uh give us a call want to discuss something covid related or otherwise vaccine related going back to work it doesn't matter and you're ready to answer them all 416-870-6400 employment law show global news radio You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. And welcome back. You know, you ask and they come. We love that show on a Wednesday and you got questions and here is the forum, the place you want them answered. 416-870-6400. Andrew is here to take them all on. It's better for you to phone in and ask now because you are asking something that probably thousands of others are wondering as well. If you want to carry on after the show, you can do that. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and Andrew and his team available at one 855 But moving on to uh, call number one this break. Anyway, Ursula, thank you so much for standing by. How are you? I'm not bad. Excellent. What's on your mind? Um, what I have a question is, I work in a long-term care facility as a PSW, and we're being with vaccine and rumor is going around if you don't get the vaccine you will be terminated does my employer have the right to do that so Ursula you broke up a little bit there so I'll just repeat okay. what I what I believe I heard just so you can confirm but uh, you're a PSW in long-term care your employer is looking for you and I guess your colleagues uh, fellow PSWs to get the vaccine and has really been pushing it and you're concerned that if you don't get it, you might get fired. That that's the word on the street. That's so kind of that's kind of the rumor. What are my charter of rights as far as um, freedom well, of not getting it? As you thought Ford said, no, we don't have to. But it's been now it's turned into a herd immunity, and uh, I don't wish to get it. But well, does that mean I'll, I'll lose work? Well, okay. So there's a couple of moving parts. Okay. Sure. They could they could certainly fire you. An employer can just fire, you can you know an employer can fire you at any time, right? Like there's nothing that's going to stop them from actually doing it. Okay, right. that's number one. The the more important question are what are your entitlements if they do so, right? Um, so for starters, you know almost certainly it, it wouldn't be cause if you didn't get the vaccine. Okay, like you know some employers might have a better argument that based on the nature of the workplace. Um, it's it's more critical that you know you get the vaccine because there's safety risks. I, I mean, we don't have to get into all the um, scientific validities of that or whatever on the call, but that would be their prerogative, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Um, so you know, the first thing you'd be trying to pursue is your severance, okay? Uh, if, if that happened to you, uh, then then that would be the first question: is is are you going to be entitled to severance? The second question is, you know, does this amount to a human rights violation, okay? Because if you weren't going to get the vaccine because um, maybe you have a medical condition that precludes you from getting the vaccine or you have, you know, legitimate, genuine religious beliefs, for example, 
that inform your decision not to get the vaccine, then it's possible that if you express that to the employer, I mean, it's, it's imperative that I suppose that they know that uh, the reason why you're objecting, that in addition to um, severance, you could be entitled to human rights damages as well. Okay, so it would be situational to say the least, but um, you know you can't stop them from firing you. The, you. You could just do your best to get you know as much as you can get in terms of entitlements as a result of uh, that happening. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks. Appreciate, oh, appreciate it, Ursula. Thank you very much. If you want to uh, reach out uh, at a later date, you can sure do that. It's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. More questions right there, or help at employmentlawyer.ca, but here and now, 416-870-6400. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for hanging on. Good evening. Hi. I um, identified to my, um, I work for a hospital. I identified to my manager and occupational health that I have a disability, um, learning disability in nature. And they said that, um, uh, they said, um, can you use your uh, benefits to pay for accommodation? And they found out that the uh, benefit I need is an occupational therapist. I don't, um, I don't have that as a, uh, as a benefit. And they are saying that I would have to use my own money to accommodate my learning disability. Oh, okay. And uh, how long have you been at this job? Three and a half years. Okay. And this is something that's come up recently. I, I mean, it was impacting. Well, good point. Um, I've, I've identified, I've had four, I've had a number of different managers and um, I've, I've, I've gone to occupational health, but they um, haven't pursued it in the three and a half years that I've been there. Okay. And do you have support from your own doctors or, or um, healthcare practitioners that, you know, have discussed your need for these accommodations? Like where, where did it come to light that this was what you felt you needed? Well, I've, I've had it in the past, an occupational, like a job coach, an occupational therapist, and it's worked. Um, they have, they didn't, the occupational health did not provide any other support. In fact, they're saying I have to pay for whatever support I need, i.e. an occupational therapist, on out of my own pocket. And um, and they did try to change my one of my um, benefits for an OT, but um, the insurance company said no. Okay. And then they they provided they they provided me with a um, a free um, outside um, resource, which won't cost them anything, but it's inappropriate for me because it's one of the things is how to get a job. That's one of the things the program covers, and I have a job. Well, that that makes a lot of sense. That that for sure adds up. Um... Well, I mean, I guess theoretically it'd be possible that, you know, you could skip that aspect of things and only deal with the other issues. But I, I think what is going to be important is that, you know, your, your employer would have obligations to make the efforts and they can't just skirt that obligation because some things cost money, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, accommodation is a two-way street, however, so there is going to be some kind of give and take. I, I think what's going to be important is that your medical uh 
you know, the, your medical practitioners, the individuals who, who help you with, with your learning disability and who diagnosed you with that and, and who, you know, who are working with you to kind of help better the workplace, you know, they support your need for the ACA health therapist mm -hmm. and then, you know, get that support. So, you know, it's, it's, it's firm that that is what you need and there are no other options available. And if, you know, really put to them that you expect them to work with you. And if they don't, I'd recommend giving us a call. And because just mm -hmm. the fact that they're ignoring your requests over all this time is, is mm -hmm. certainly a concern, even if they have got their act together now, I think it's, it's probably a, a pretty concerning situation. I'd like to get more detail from you and I don't want to, you know, take okay. up all the time this second. I think it would make more sense if you called in and had a bit of a kind of a lengthier conversation with one of our lawyers. Okay. Okay. Do you do you have a, a lawyer that specializes in employment law? Well, obviously, to in something like this. Absolutely, this is something that comes across our table every single day, multiple times, and and this is what we do. So, by all means, uh, we're, we're there to help. You will be taken care of, Lisa. No problem. Here is that number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. But four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. You know that is the number. David, thanks for standing by. You are up next. Good evening. I've got a uh, couple questions. Uh, yeah. I'm in the hospitality industry. I've been out of work since uh, you know for the past fourteen months. Uh, first question um, I have is I, I signed on board with the company as a subcontractor for tax reasons, sort of screwed myself now because the, uh, you know, the, the, the benefits that the government uh, have been gracious enough to, uh, to give us, you know, expires for me next week. My question is, can I be a bit of a dink and go back and do anything to my subcontractor slash employer who clearly is an employer, but, you know, uh, I, I signed on not knowing that COVID was going to happen. Um, cause I, I'm sort of just, uh, upside down here and would you know if they are extending the recovery benefit i heard to 50 weeks for those that uh need it well the first question i have which was not clear um is well how long re number one were you working for the company uh before you uh went off work i was working with them for uh, 14 months and then uh and then you've been off since when on the i've been off since uh april i guess uh when did COVID start? Uh, we got shut down March 2019. Okay, so, uh, 20, uh, 2020, yeah. 2020, um, sorry, and, March 2020. And, so. and did they communicate to you, you know, are you on a temporary layoff or your, is your contract just coming to an end? Did they, what, did, what did they say to you? Oh, when, there's, 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 there's no work, there's no events, nothing's happening. We're shut down. No tours, no concerts, no nothing. You know, and I, you know, you know I had an office. Um, I clearly uh, would uh, classify myself as uh, an employee, um, you know, with with what uh, yeah. employee guidelines I would fall under. And I, I just sort of screwed myself by going in there as a subcontractor for, for, for tax reasons, but I don't qualify so, for EI. Uh, yeah, um, no, no. So let me just interject for two seconds, okay? So yeah. the fact that you're a subcontractor for tax purposes is not going to really uh, have a complete bearing on whether you're an employee for employment law purposes. Okay, so it's okay. very, very well based on you know 
if you're economically reliant on this employer, if they control your hours, if they provide you tools and equipment, uh, you know, things like that. It, it, you, we look at these criteria. That's how you're going to assess whether you're actually an employee. I don't care necessarily at all that you're, you know, you have a company with an HST number. That's not right. going to be determinative. So right. now what you can theoretically maybe do, and, and again, I, I hate to do this, but uh, again, just another situation that we would require further information is yeah. to determine whether, you know, when you were put on this layoff, whether temporary or permanent, depending on how it was communicated, you now can pursue severance as a result, right? Can you treat that as a termination regardless and try to get some severance? So that would be one way uh, to get money from them. Okay. Number one. And number two, with respect to the recovery benefit, I mean, these things are just in flux all the time. So I'd recommend keeping an eye out. The one thing I will say is the, the you know, the fe federal government has done a decent job, uh, you know, irrespective of what you think about uh, the merits of all these um, benefits and all that, they have done a decent job of extending them to kind of match these layoff periods that, that the you know provincial government has also imposed in Ontario. So um, I would just keep an eye out, look online, uh, probably something you can call Service Canada or CRA about as well. But I, I'm sure if you just take a look online about your, you know what entitlements and and the timelines and things like that, you'll find the information you need. But I think in terms of the severance piece uh, and your status as an employee, definitely give us a call and we can see you know, uh, how much it makes sense to do something there. Okay, great. Okay, thanks. No worries. Thanks, David. Appreciate that. Uh, 1-855-821-5900 is the way. 416-870-6400. That's the number here and now. Ian, appreciate your patience. Good evening. How are you? Very good, thank you. Good. What's on your uh, mind? Well, uh, today I got an email from my employer saying that um, – they are consolidating our benefits package across Canada. So we're multinational, there's multiple sites, and there's been ownership changes, et cetera, over there. so there's different benefit plans. And uh, they claim that the new benefit plan, one of the changes in it is um, disability benefit moves from a tax uh, taxable payout to a tax-free payout. So in the past where... You know, I might have got disability benefit of ten grand a month. I think they said now I'd be getting five. Whatever they claim that's equivalent. One, I don't think it is. Two, the other claim that they're making is that the Tax Act says that because of the change in this disability benefit, the premium has to be paid paid by the employee, not the employer. And as a result, they're going to deduct another eighty-five bucks off my check every two weeks. My position is that my response was that uh, I reject their claim and I expect my pay to remain intact. And I really just see this as an attempt to them to pass these costs on to me under the guise of a change in the task tax act. And it's not, in fact, an improvement to my benefits. Uh, the benefits are degrading. Well, Ian, now, my... employer, employers never pass off that kind of stuff to employees, though. So what do you, what do you... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um... You know, here's the issue in your case, unfortunately, okay? It would, it would really come down to how much money you make, okay? Because what you're talking about is is the the basis for what would be considered a constructive dismissal claim, okay? True, which is, and that's which what is, I'd pursue. Okay, so number one, um, you'd have to look at this $85 biweekly that's going to be deducted from your pay, uh, yeah, what two grand a year? 
and and how much well it's up to you to tell but i'd imagine that um you know even if you made 50 grand a year let's just say it would be a four percent change right mm-hmm. uh, so it's going to be usually we say roughly and it depends on the situation that the threshold is somewhere around 10 percent of a pay change to claim constructive dismissal successfully um, yeah if it's a we're talking about a two to four percent change in pay it's going to mm-hmm. be difficult to make that claim um and uh it, but it is i'm not saying it's impossible it, it'll be challenging and, and it's up to you whether you re- like i understand the point you're making i i think what i think you're probably less pissed off about the 85 bucks and more that you just feel it wasn't communicated it, you know that they're communicating it in a way that is trying to you know almost outsmart you so to speak like you're smarter than that like you know what they're up to and it's you, you just don't like that aspect of Agreed. things yeah yeah. So, you know, that's fine. And I understand those kind of principled stances and, and, you know, I have no qualms with that at all. I, I take those all the time. I'm sure John uh, here has done that in his day too. I mean, you know, yep. you, you want to take a stand sometimes to things, but you do have to consider, um, you know, the viability of the claim and whether or not you do want to go down that road. Right. So, yeah, that's, well, I make 125 a year, so it's only about a 2% decrease. So I don't think it meets a threshold for constructive dismissal, but it certainly meets the threshold for maybe a day off now and then. And I'm not going to tell them about. So <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> uh, well, you guy. just did, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I hope you used. I hope you used the fake name. Um, that's right. <laughs> Ian, thanks. Ian, appreciate that. Uh, oh man. So there you go, pal. Right. Pretty good stuff. Ian, thanks for the call. You want a further discussion? One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And finally, getting to uh, to Mark. Hey, Mark, thanks for hanging on. Good evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Long time listener. Great show. Excellent. Thank you. Go ahead. My situation is, I'd like a little bit of clarification as to what my employment or contract status is. I'm a professional. Recently, sold my practice. Um, uh, the company retained me to work for a period of time for continuity for them. Um, I was asked to form a professional corporation and they contracted that corporation to provide the professional services back to the business that they purchased. Um, in that contract though, I have a, uh, which I got legal advice on by the way. Um, but I was given a non-compete clause. I'm being told when I have to work, where I have to work, um, and my compensation is based as a percentage of my production. Now, I just wanted to get some clarification. Am I actually really an employee, or am I actually a contractor who's limited to where I can contract to? Well, it's a good question. I, I just want to clarify one point, if you don't mind. No, you, you, sta- you stated that uh, you're providing, you know, services. I, I guess um, whatever strategic and and other uh, for continuity purposes. So sorry, is that back to the business that you sold? Is that still kind of you know distinguishable as an isolated entity, or was that not just kind of you know eaten up by the rest of the company you sold the business to? Uh, and, and no. form, form part of something bigger. Yeah, sorry, I did not uh, clarify that. 
it was sold as an entity. It continues as exactly the same entity. And my faith in that professional practice remains, uh, whereby the clientele really don't know that I've sold the professional practice. I'm still there providing the services that they used to get from me. I just don't own the place anymore. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. So, um, you know, in the circumstances, if you're working full time, you can't compete. I I assume you have no other clients because they told you to establish this professional corporation for the purpose of uh, working for them. Right. So I imagine. So, so, you know, definitely a lot of the signs point to you being an employee. Okay. Um, It's also possible there is kind of a hybrid scenario where you can actually be known as something called a dependent contractor. So not an independent contractor, but a dependent contractor. And in that scenario, you do have some rights that an employee has, like you would have rights to, in some circumstances, to severance in the same way that an employee would have, but not uh, you know, necessarily other things under the, you know, under the Employment Standards Act, like overtime pay and whatever. So you do have some rights, but not others. But at minimum, it sounds like you're a dependent contractor and would retain rights in that regard. And certainly you could be an employee. The fact that you have a professional corporation, it might shield uh, you from CRA purposes in terms of, you know, invoicing them as a contractor and reporting income as a contractor. But if you're working for them uh, full time, and they control who you can and can't work for, and uh, you know um, uh, you're only working for this company. Um, they'd be very hard pressed to argue that you're an independent contractor, certainly. Okay, and I have a sort of final adjunct question to that. Thank you very much for that succinct answer. Um, as part of my professional corporation's contract with the company. Um, I did sign that there was no severance or anything like that to be paid, but it was under the understanding I was an independent contractor. If my designation is as a dependent contractor, would that negate that clause in the contract potentially? I know you can't tell without seeing it, but is is that a possibility? So, yes, I obviously cannot tell without seeing it. Okay. So, uh, as a dependent contractor, there will be more leniency in terms of what language a company can put in an agreement with respect to any entitlements you have, like on the termination of your work, employment, contractor relationship, whatever, right? Right. So, right. so they they will they will have more leniency in, in terms of how it's drafted. If you were an employee, it would have to be drafted a very specific way, uh, in a much more strict manner that it would be easier for us to get around. Um, but that said, you know, it sounds at minimum like there is some exposure that, that you'd be considered an employee. I mean, until a, a judge decides, which barely ever happens, these things hardly ever go to a hearing. Uh, most of these things get dealt with far in advance of that. Um, as long as there's exposure and they understand, like, all the criteria that you're dealing with, that like, you should have, you know, some leg to stand on here. Obviously, we would just need more to make it a real assessment. This is a bit, right. a bit of a general answer, but if you want to b- arrange a consultation, I mean, it, take an hour, it's not going to be too costly or anything like that, and we'd be happy to kind of work it out with you. Understood. And if I am deemed as an employee, me being a business owner previous to that would not count as time calculated as part of a severance or anything like that. 
It, it could. It actually could. Uh, oh, there, there is some, uh, there is some uh, case law that talks about uh, how that could be the case. Uh, certainly, wow. right? So, um, very interesting. But, but there are a lot of moving parts to that. So, I, again, like okay. I, I'd love to be able to tell you, you know, definitively A, B, and C. But I can, at this stage, you know, there'd be a lot of information to kind of sort through before I'd be able to uh, give you something definitive. But it's definitely a possibility that your years of service. Um, for the company that you're now technically just still working for uh, would count. Why not? Of course. Wow. Very interesting. I thank you so much for your answers. Um, I will get in touch. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. Thanks for uh, taking the time and asking some questions. You're just, like I said, helping everybody when you do that and to reach out to Andrew and his team. Of course, now you know not to hesitate. Go ahead and do it. one 821 5900 That goes for you as well. one 821 5900 There's the email address, help at employmentlawyer.ca. You can always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That website is free, anonymous, and inside that is the severance pay calculator. And then finally, one more place you can go when you got some time, just simply employmentlawyer.ca. That has links to our television show as well. We'll catch you on the weekend. Thanks so much for hanging on and contributing to the show again on this Wednesday night. Don't move a muscle. Alex Pearson coming straight back on point. Continues Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio.